As you know, instead of doing the New Year's program in the evening, Jakarta Central Church leadership has opted instead to combine it with the worship service this morning and the communion. So one of the things I think that you've been given is this envelope. Like most programs, we encourage people to put their resolutions in there so that we can pray with you. Because when you make a resolution a spiritual experience, it tends to act as a greater reminder. So I want to encourage you, you don't have to put your name, I believe. Pastor, do they need to write their names? You don't have to write your name, just write your resolution. And after the communion service, we will pray with you and your resolution. So if you haven't got this, just raise up your hands and one of the deacons will hand it over to you. And so because we have a lot of activities, I'm going to get straight into the word this morning. In 1938, in the United Kingdom, in Britain, a play was produced entitled Gaslighting. It was so popular and so reproduced over and over again that in 1944, Hollywood produced a movie based on that play, and the title of the movie was Gaslight. Now, what the play and uh, consequently what the movie was about, it was about a husband who was married to a woman who was wealthy, and so he devised a plan that if he could manipulate her into thinking that she had lost her mind, that her sense of reality had been warped, that she would be committed into a mental institution and he would get all the money. Today, the expression gaslighting is used as a way of describing somebody that's trying to manip manipulate you. In some way or the other, we all practice gaslighting. We do it in church, we do it at home, we do it in the business, we do it in marriage, we do it in every possible way because in order to get advantage, we will try to manipulate somebody else in order to get what we want. A wife will say to her husband, how come you don't spend time with me as much as you used to? How come you don't buy me roses anymore? How come you haven't upgraded my wedding ring? It's been 15 years. And then the husband thinks, okay, I got a list also. How come you don't cook no more? How come you don't lay out my clothes for me before I leave the house? How come you don't greet me at the door with a kiss anymore? But do you know the greatest manipulators at home, who they are? Does anybody know? Children. Mommy, daddy said I can go to the movies. No, I didn't. Daddy, mommy said I can buy the toy. No, she didn't. That's a testimony that I just offered right now. Children are good at manipulation. And because we are so accustomed to gaslighting each other, we think that God is the same. We think that God is in the manipulation business. But as we stare at the end of a year, as we look back, what's the theme? Looking back to look forward. As we look back at the year that has passed, if you look at it through the lens of human experience or feeling, it feels as if God has been trying to manipulate you. And I want to apologize on behalf of us church folk. Sometimes we do try to manipulate you. If we can't use heaven, we will use hell. 
If we can't use hell, we will use rules. And when the rules fail, we will guilt you into accepting Jesus. And so on behalf of all the pastors and leaders in the church, we apologize for gaslighting you for coming into God's house. But God does not use the gaslighting idea. In fact, the sermon today is not entitled gaslighting. It's entitled God lighting. What's the difference, pastor? Let me try to help you see it. So gaslighting is the hidden manipulations others use to control your life. That's gaslighting. God lighting is the opposite. Notice the difference. God lighting is the hidden manifestations that God uses to complement your life. But unfortunately, because we don't live by faith, but by sight, we think that God is manipulating us, that is bringing in fear, that is forcing us to depend on him. Those that don't believe in God say that the rest of us only believe in God because we have no other option. We have created this fairy tale in the sky to feel better about our pathetic lives. That religion is a form of manipulation. I heard somebody say in the lesson earlier on that the sentiment today is that religion is dead. Actually, that sentiment has existed since the beginning of time. To the point that the psalmist says, the man who says there's no God is a fool. Because eventually you will admit that God is real. Atheists, communists, Stalin, I'm trying to think of the Voltaire, all these great philosophers on their deathbed admitted there is a God. As they were dying, they said, I have lived an empty life. Stalin's daughter, in an interview, she expressed the anger that her father died with. He died with his fist in the air. Even Charles Darwin himself. Because God is not a manipulator. God simply wants to reveal something about you to you so that you can become a better person. If what I've said so far makes any sense, would somebody say amen? amen. Because if you go into the new year thinking that God does manipulation, you will miss out on the joys of serving him. So God lighting are the hidden manifestations. Why do I say hidden? I say hidden because we don't know what's happening when it's happening. We don't understand. Job did not get the memo. Joseph never got the memo. It just happened. But at the end of the story, they realized that God was simply complimenting their lives. That's not even the sermon. Get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. It's going to make sense. It's going to make sense. Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse number 21 all the way down to verse 28. Matthew 15. This is the passage of scripture that will carry us sermonically into the new year. I hope the message not only makes sense, but it, 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 it gives you a, 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 a jumping board to jump into the new year. Matthew 15, verse 21. The Bible says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman, the King James says, a a, a woman from Canaan. She was Canaanite. She was an outsider. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't a Christian. She was an outsider. A woman who lived there came to him, pleading 
Have mercy on, on, on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. It's one thing to be tormented by the devil, but for him to do it severely, that's the worst possible way. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even an answer. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. And then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. You would think she would walk away. But the Bible says in verse 25, But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Sometimes when you don't have the words, all you need to say is, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. And in verse 28, Jesus says to her, Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. This text is a classical example of how it is possible to confuse gaslighting with God lighting. It is verses like this that have gotten Jesus cancelled by Gen Z. For him to talk to a woman like this, cancel Jesus. But before you cancel him, let's examine the story and see if there's something we can take into the new year. The Bible says that there's a woman who is in the region of Tyre and Sidon. And this is one of the few occasions where Jesus goes off the script. His assignment was to the house of Israel. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. His ministry was confined in Galilee, in Jerusalem and the regions. But now and again, Jesus would slip out of town either to get rest but always to have an encounter with an outsider. If there's anybody in the room right now who feels out of place, who feels unwelcome, who feels as if they belong, I want you to know that when Jesus looks at the crowd, he sees you more than he sees the church member. He's interested in the one, not just the 99. So this year, you felt as if nobody cared. I'm here to tell you that Jesus cares. When you are a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, God cares about you. Don't get caught up in the social politics of male versus female, men versus women. God doesn't see all that. All he sees are sheep that need him. So the Bible says he's in the region of Tyre and Sidon. And all of a sudden, a woman comes up to him and she addresses him as if she was a Jew, but she's not. I know when we read the text, sometimes we, we look at the details and certain things seem obvious. They seem irrelevant or they seem, you know, uh, uh, unconsequential. But I want to point out some things to you this morning. As we drive to the end of the year, the Bible says that Jesus left Galilee and he went north to the region of Tyre. And then a woman 
A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord. She's pleading for God to have mercy on her, but the person with the problem is her child. She's asking him to have mercy on her, but the person with the problem is her child. I have heard, I have been privy, as pastor has been, parents have come asking for prayer for their children, but they've never asked for prayer for themselves. It's always their children that are the problem. Couples do the same thing. Pastor, pray for my husband. He's this and that. If you fix him, the marriage will be better. Pastor, pray for my wife. In fact, don't just pray for her. Talk to her. Go, pastor, go talk to her. Go fix her for me so that I can be happy at home. But she came and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Because if God can have mercy on you, he'll take care of your children. Amen, somebody. Stop listening to the sermon and keep pointing at your partner and saying, he's talking about you. No, I'm not. I'm talking about you. You need God's mercy, not your children. Have mercy on me, O Lord. She's a Baal worshiper. She comes from the same city as Jezebel. She's a Baal worshiper. These were the enemies of God's people. But for some reason, she calls him Lord. How did she know to call him that, Pastor? How did she know to call him the son of David? That's not an expression used everywhere. Calling Jesus son of David is equal to Adventist people saying happy Sabbath, happy Sunday, happy Monday, happy Wednesday. Why not happy every day? Your religious language betrays where you're from, but she's using expressions that don't belong to her people. When she calls him the son of David, she's recognizing his messianic qualities. Something that the priests, the pastors had rejected, she had accepted. But she was a Baal worshiper. How is it possible that Jesus is able to bring a woman out of her religion, out of her background, to come to him. It's interesting how he does it. He does it through a demon. Here's a prayer I want you to offer tonight at 11.59. I want you to get on your knees with your partner. I want you to hold your children's hands. And I want you to offer this prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the devils that came into my life in 2022. Because without them, I would not be sitting in church right now. Without them, I would not be pleading for my children right now. Without the devils, I wouldn't pray about my job. That person that you're married to, that you keep calling a devil, God sent them into your life. It is the devils that make us go on our knees. It is the devils that make us look up and lose faith in humanity. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if they're acting like a demon, God is going to use that. Because if God can't do it, he'll let the devil do it for him. Amen, somebody. But don't forget to thank God for Jesus also. Amen, somebody. But Jesus gave her no reply. Have you ever felt a sense of urgency about what you are going through? And you were convinced that by faith, God would act equally according to your urgency. My child is sick. My mother is dying. My company is failing. My marriage is falling apart. Help me, Lord. No answer. You're pleading for the church, Pastor. You're praying for the Spirit of God to come down in power, but it seems as if heaven has shut its doors. You call the hotline, no answer. All you get is a ringtone, nearer my God to thee, but no answer from God. 
You're praying, you're pleading, you're asking this pastor and that pastor. You even bring uh, prophets and, and all sorts of people to help you, but no answer. Most people would walk away. Most people would defend it. Most people would run for their heels, but this woman stood her ground. The Bible says that Jesus gave her no answer. But guess who spoke up? The disciples. The church people. The church people go to Jesus and say to him, send this woman away. She's bothering us. Really? She didn't come and ask you for help. She came to ask God for help. Let me step on some toes right now. Do you know statistically that most people don't believe in God, not because of God, but because of church people? Do you know that it's us that keep people from God? Very few people. You know, it's frustrating to go on YouTube. I, 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 the other day, I, I saw a video why I stopped being a Pentecostal. And then I, I thought, who else has this expression? So I typed in why I left church, and you'll find Roman Catholic, Adventist, Methodist, non-denominational. Young people are leaving church, and do you know what the number one reason is? You. You church folk. You pastor. Me. They're not leaving because they don't like God. They're leaving because the disciples have said, stop bothering us. We don't care about your problems. We'll talk about you, but we don't want to talk to you about it. Go deal with your drama somewhere else. In this church, we are quiet. We don't clap hands. We don't go crazy. We worship God in silence. But I thank God that Jesus ignored them also. Jesus doesn't care what church people think. Jesus doesn't care what church people think. As long as those people repent his word he doesn't care that's why do you know that sometimes it is safer for people to be outside than to be inside my heart beats faster every time somebody says i want to be baptized I'm, I'm like lord please i hope they don't encounter the hypocrites i hope they encounter the nice old lady that welcomes them with a smile not the people that judge them by the fact that their shoes and their dress don't match lord please I'm sorry, it's the end of the year. Let me make this uh, a little bit better for you. It is better. It is better to be ignored by God than to get the attention of people who don't care. You got to be careful when you get people's attention because you don't know their intention. Be careful in 2023 who you let in. Be careful who you talk to about your problems. Be careful who you talk to about your marriage. I have received from third parties about other people's relationships, but the context was negative. Be careful who you open up to. Not everybody that calls you girlfriend is your Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep. It was better that he said nothing. Because when he says something, it's worse than his silence. What Jesus is saying is, go to the back of the line. I'm not here for you. I'm here for the Adventists. I'm sorry, I'm here for the Jews. I'm the God of the people who worship on the right day. Nobody else. But guess what she does? She comes closer. She comes closer. She refuses to give why she's there. But the Bible says she came and she worshipped him. She wasn't there for Israel. 
She wasn't there for Abraham's people. She wasn't there for Isaac and Jacob. She was there for Jesus. She wasn't there for the Sanhedrin. She wasn't there for the, 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 the day of Pentecost or the, the, the day of Yom Kippur. She was there for Jesus. She didn't come there for the worship service or the music. She didn't come there for people to smile at her at the door and say welcome. She didn't come to socialize. She came for Jesus. She didn't come to be judged by church people. She came for Jesus. And even though he told her to go to the back of the line, she says, that's fine, but as long as I get to see you. She was willing to go to the back of the line. Why? Her need was greater than her feelings about the social politics. I know people who have walked out of church after 15 years because somebody said something about their child. This woman is an outsider. She's a Baal worshiper. She refused to allow prejudice to keep her from what she needed. Is your need big enough to keep you coming back? Or does it take a side comment by somebody to stop you from serving God? Is your faith big enough to ignore the ignorance of church people? Or, 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 or is your ego fragile and soft? People have to walk around you. Her need is greater than her faith. Ha. Ah, diamonds. Woman's best friend and man's worst nightmare. Who invented the idea that when you propose to a woman, you got to go on one knee? Who invented that? Okay, let me not... I, I, I did it, so let me not be a hypocrite. But I'm simply saying, if you're going to spend a lot of money on a diamond ring, the least she can do is be the one who kneels down. You know what I'm saying? Pastor, by example. Diamonds. Let's talk about diamonds for a second. In the world today, there are more fake diamonds that get sold than real diamonds. Because the human eye can't tell the difference between what is real and what is not. That is why uh, jewelers or uh, merchants of diamonds will always have a certificate that by faith you accept that the diamond is real. There's a couple of tests that they conduct to see whether a diamond is real or not. There's the UV test. There's the water test. There's the black light test. There's the scratch test. The scratch test doesn't work anymore. Because scientists have managed to produce a diamond lookalike that cannot be scratched. But the one test that I love that I want to talk about right now, it is called, let me say it slowly, the refractivity test. What that simply means is the expert will put an X or even a newspaper or any, any written material with a fake diamond. When you put it like that flat and you pull it back, you can still see what's at the bottom. That is proof that it's a fake diamond. But a real diamond, when you do the same thing and you, you, you call refraction pulling it back, what is at the bottom disappears. Meaning that as the light is hitting into the diamond, it causes the image to disappear. So you don't see the image, but you see the diamond. You don't see the image, but you see the diamond. If your faith is fake, all your fake faith sees are the negative things in life. That as you look back at the year that has passed, all you see is woe is me. And as you look at the new year to come, all you can see is blackness. But if your faith is strong, when it looks back into the year, all it sees is God and what he has done for you. There's an expression or, 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 or uh, 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 an experience rather, an old illustration that I love so much. And I want to use it right now. Thank you, Holy Ghost. It's two 
two prisoners sitting in a prison cell. When the one looks outside, he sees the bars. He sees the, 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 the confinement and the lack of freedom and his heart is let down. But when the other prisoner looks, he looks beyond the prison bars. He sees the grass, the trees. He sees the birds singing and he tells himself one day I'll be out there and I'll be free. The problem is we don't allow God's light to shine in us because let me tell you something. God may not manipulate you, but God will provoke you. I promise you. God will provoke you because faith does not grow by attending church. Faith grows through the life you lead outside. Amen. And so Jesus responded, it gets worse. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. He called her a dog. Now, in the English language, it looks worse than it is. In fact, the, the Jews had a, a word that they used to describe pagans, which was dog. But I want you to know that the word that Jesus uses is different from the ones the Jews used. Let me show you. The Jews, when the Jews called a, 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 a pagan or somebody who was an outsider a dog, they used the word that describes a scavenger dog. You know, the untrained dog. The one that is born in the streets and eats from the garbage. The, the rabid dog. The rabid dog. The one that is uh, 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 unkept and wild and just scruffy. Look at, look at the skin. It's, it's not taken care of. So when they call somebody a dog, that's what they were referring to. But when Jesus calls this woman a dog, the word that he uses describes this one. A puppy, a house dog. Commercial break. By the way. To you hypocrites who say you love dogs, when you go out to buy dogs, why do you go for this and not this one? If you love dogs so much, Sister Val, I've seen your dog. Your dog lives in the house. Your dog has clothes and little treats. That dog is treated good. If you really love dogs, go for this one. Nope? Okay. Commercial break over. Jesus calls her a house dog. To the person without faith, all they hear is dog. But this woman is cut from a different cloth. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall beneath the master's table. All she's thinking, I don't care. This dog is in the house. That's all she cared about. I'm in the house. Pastor, nobody wants to talk to me. I'm going to another church. But you're in the house. You're listening to the sermon. You're praising God. Why do you care that nobody's talking to you? Are you approachable? Don't you realize that the person seated next to you is also a guest? But because we're so fragile, we always want people to be smiling. The pastor shouldn't talk about the bad things I'm doing because the moment he points them out, you get offended. But she says, I'm in the house. Let the crumbs fall. That's all I need because crumbs from God will go a long way versus the bread on the table. If 2022 has felt like crumbs, trust me, from God. There are people who had the whole loaf of bread and they lost it overnight. Company got shut down, went bankrupt. The career person fell down the ladder. Reputation messed up. Meanwhile, you have been rising up the year, eating the crumbs, being humbled, but all of a sudden you notice that God is blessing you. Why? Because crumbs are made up of the same thing that the bread is made up of. 
Stop judging the gift from God by the size. Judge it by where it's coming from. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Okay, I guess the Lord is telling me to stop right there. This woman represents the person you need to be in the coming year. She refused to allow the silence of Jesus to deter her from what she needed. She refused the lack of care that the disciples had to stop her. She refused to allow the hierarchy of religion and race to stop her. She refused the idea that she did not belong to stop her because she understood there's only one thing I need for that demon to leave my home. It breaks my heart that some of you are willing to keep your demons because you were offended at church. You are willing to stay unhappy in your marriages because you don't agree with one thing that the pastor said. You are willing to be miserable the rest of your life because you're holding on to something because of your feelings. This woman said, I don't care. I'm not part of your house. I'm not part of your city. But all I know is you are the answer that I need. If Jesus is the answer for what you need, let me hear you say amen. amen. This woman was driven by something that I, I am jealous of what she had. I don't even know if I have it. I wear my heart on my sleeve, pastor. Somebody said something. Oh, I'm in my feelings like Drake, brother. See what I'm saying? But this woman said, I will not let go until you bless me. That is the type of spirit that I want you to have in the coming year. Uh, Sister Val, help me out. Let me, let me finish this word before we get into the communion service. A final thought I want to share with you this morning is a simple prayer. A simple prayer that says, dear somebody, I know that it felt as if everything you were going through was meant to break you. But that's not it. I was trying to provoke your faith. Yours in salvation, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's God's final message to you today. You thought I was trying to break you. You thought I was trying to manipulate you. You thought I was trying to take away your happiness. You thought I was trying to prevent you from getting what you wanted. That's not it. I was trying to give you faith so that you, you could get more than you wanted. If I asked you right now, what is the story about? I'm sure most of you would say the story is about the healing of this woman's child. No, it's not. In fact, when you read Mark's account, the child had been healed already. What Jesus wanted was this woman. And in order to get her, he had to provoke her faith. So I'm saying to you right now, parents, if you're praying for your kids, make sure that you are where God is. For those of you in relationships with somebody who's outside the faith, don't just pray for them. Make sure you are right with God. If you're in a marriage right now and your partner is not where they should be, make sure you are right with God. Amen, somebody. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated by the devil to think that you are better than somebody else. Don't assume that as I preach to you, I'm standing up here better than you. I'm not. I need Jesus more than you do because that's how we survive. That's the prayer. Dear so-and-so, insert name. In 2022... You went through more than you thought you could handle. I was working on giving you greater faith. Let's try again next year. Is there anybody that says, Lord, it was rough this year. It was more difficult than it needed to be. But I'm still here. I'm willing to give it a try 
in 2023. If that's you, raise your hand right now. I want to try again. I wasn't as faithful as I should have been. I'm listening to the preacher talk about this woman. That's not me. Put your hands down. You're good. Now there's somebody else that says, I want the faith that she had. I'm an outsider, not because I don't belong here or I'm I'm of a different faith, but I, I, I need Jesus more than I've ever needed him before. If that's you, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Lord, I have said what I needed to say this morning. As I spoke to the saints, I have spoken to myself. There are two people in the Bible that your son declared having a great faith. A Syrophoenician woman and a Roman centurion. Both of them were outsiders. In fact, when you comment about the Roman centurion, you say you've never seen such faith in Israel before. But Lord, I dare to say that all of us in this room right now, we are all outsiders. We will not allow religious affiliation to manipulate us to think that we are insiders. That just because we have our names on a church row, just because we have positions in a church, just because we have been born into a faith, doesn't mean we are insiders. This woman was a true insider. The kind of person that was like a horse with blinkers that could see nothing but Jesus. That is my prayer for each and every person in this room. I plead the blood of Christ that we would not allow ourselves to be manipulated by the demons in our lives to tell us that we are unworthy, to tell us that we don't belong, to tell us that there's somebody better, to tell us that we're not qualified, to tell us that we are less than. When we compare ourselves to you, yes, we are less than. But the more we look at you, the more we want to be like you. And so in this moment, for those who have stood up, for those who've raised their hands, Lord, help them in the new year. We're going to pray over their resolutions. We're going to pray over their desires for a new year. But right now, I want to pray for them to have the type of faith that can be provoked but get stronger. Oh, it's difficult. It's easy to preach about it. It's, it's easy to say amen. But thank you, Lord, because we don't do it in our strength. Our brother has preached that it is Christ in us who gives us the power. It is Christ in us who gives us the victory. It is Christ in us who lets us live according to your will. Forgive our hypocrisy. Forgive our lack of faith. Forgive our doubt. Give us a faith that is great like this woman had. And now, dear God, I pray, walk ahead of us in the new year. Walk behind us as we reflect on the year that has passed. Walk around us to protect us from all the thoughts about what was. Walk by our side as you usher us in into new experiences. Be above us to watch over us as we live and relive this year again. But above all things, dear God, be in our hearts so that we can be like Christ and be ready for him to come again. If this is your prayer, my brothers and sisters, let me hear you say amen. And amen. God bless you. You may take your seats.